Welcome to Grace to Stand. It is good to be back. It's been a while, at least since I've been on. George, it's good to see you. It's uh, been, I don't know, almost a month since we've yeah, been since here together. So. It's 2024, and uh, I'm glad to be back. I'm glad to be in it. I can't believe it's the year 2024. So, right. yes, good to see you, Darren. I miss yes. you. Yes. Well, um, good to be back on with you. And uh, what we wanted to do today is spend a little bit of time talking about the uh, the topic of Christian contentment. And we really mm. want to interact with one of the great works on that topic, which is by uh, a Puritan and one of the Westminster divines, uh, a, a Puritan by the name of Jeremiah Burroughs. Uh, and his book is entitled The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment. Mm. And if you are a person with red blood flowing through your veins, this is probably something that you struggle with. I mean, it, uh, you know, it, George, one of the interesting things is, is that we think of all of the, uh, the holidays uh, and some of the, the uh, informal, uh, non-official holidays that go on between Thanksgiving and Christmas. And you think of, um, of Black Friday and Cyber Tuesday or, or Cyber Monday and Giving Tuesday and all that. Oh, well, there yes. is there's a, a day called Black Monday and mm. Black Monday. Well, I think that's what it's called. Something to that effect. Anyway, it is supposed to be the most depressing day of the year. That's what it's supposed to be. And, the, and it's always something like the second Monday in January. So I think it was actually just this past Monday was supposed to be that, or it's called Blue Monday or something like that. Blue Monday. I don't know what you're talking about, but it makes sense. It makes sense. I never heard of it. Well, okay. So it makes sense. Look it up. Look it up. I'm not looking this up. You know, it's out there. But at any rate, it's supposed to be the most depressing day of the year, right? It's uh, it's Because we already broke our diets and and, and New Year's resolutions didn't happen. and The whole deal. The whole deal. I mean, we've broken all that. And it's also cold and dark and, you know, you spent all this money during Christmas and you come back and you realize, oh, my gosh, I've got, you know, this credit card piled up higher than I ever expected it to be and the whole the whole thing. So uh, that's what you get at this time of year. And but all 365 days of the year, we struggle with contentment. Right. There's just Uh this ongoing. um, we we need just a little bit more. We we need something to be just a little bit better. We need a little bit less of this and a little bit more of that. And there's no one I think that uh, that goes without that struggle. And uh, I think that we do well to plumb the depths of Scripture and and even have the help of a of a great work like the rare jewel of Christian contentment as we. Um, consider how to live joyful lives in Christ in the midst of not having yet arrived in heaven. Mm. So George, this is a book that you have um, been interacting with. I've had the privilege of reading it in the past. And why don't you just share a little bit about your experience with uh, this book? Yes. So I am a newbie. And so I need to turn in my PCA pastor's card. I'm a newbie to this to this book. Uh, over the break, I was I'm on a chat with some pastors, a company mm-hmm. of pastors, we call it. And they, one guy started quoting from the book, and the other guy said, "Oh, that's the rare jewel of Christian contentment." And then the one pastor said, "Yeah, I'm reading it again." And the other one says, "Oh, I read that so many times. That's 
and uh, sh- to my shame, I've never read it. Now I've heard of it, of course, mm-hmm. and uh, but I've but I've never read it. And so I went on Amazon really quickly and bought it. It's in the uh, the public domain, so it's pretty cheap. I was able to get it, you know, for my Kindle for like ninety nine cents or something. Well, that's a well spent ninety nine cents, right? Yeah, and so uh, you know the Puritans. I, I'm fairly new to the Puritans. I, I have read Jonathan Edwards quite a bit uh, a while back, but didn't really expand beyond him. And I, for some reason, people don't even consider him a Puritan. I don't know, Americans mm-hmm. philosopher, but yeah, kind of the last of the great Puritans. Right? Yeah, mm-hmm. right. And uh, I've read John Owen, uh, Mortification of Sin, and, and others of his works and stuff. But I, I never really read the Puritans very devotionally. And so I, I was excited to jump into this and more and more people I'm hearing are saying this is their favorite Puritan work. And so I started it about a week ago. And the funny thing was I got, so, so to lit for listeners, my understanding of this work is it's a, it's a series of sermons. I mean, in my table of contents, it says sermon one, sermon two, and they look like they were given on successive Sundays. And, uh, I got to be honest, I got halfway through the first sermon and I didn't know what the big deal was. Mm-hmm. And something came in my mind. I was sitting on my front porch. Something came on my mind about something I had to go do on the property. And I put the book down and I got, so I'm reading and then I'm like, ah, let me go do this. Like, it just wasn't, it was good. Right. And it was what we know, but it wasn't really, okay. I don't know why everybody's making it a big deal. shattering or anything. Yeah. For the first, so I, that was halfway through the first one first chapter, which the chapters are short. I mean, the work is short, you know? Right. Anyway, I got back from whatever that errand was, that chore. And I sat back down and I'm like, what am I going to do? I'm like, all right, I have to at least read the first chapter, you know? And then it just started exploding. Mm-hmm. And I was like, whoa. Right. <laughs> now I see, I mean, like yeah. I had to have faith in the idea that like so many pastors that I know in the reformed world just say, this is their their favorite work, you know? And so that's, um, and contentment is, is you hit it on the nail on the head. It is something that everybody struggles with. The Bible speaks quite a bit about it. And there's a reason we we're, we're not content in this, in this world, but this work, he really fleshes out so much about that. And so that's my experience. What's your experience with it? You, I know you, you told me this is one of your favorite works. It, it is. And, and I, you know, a friend of mine recommended that I read it during a time that was a particularly difficult time in my life. There was just a, a, a season of just challenge and difficulty that I was going through. And yeah, I wasn't so circumstantially, the, the, the uh, situation was not just lending itself towards a, a happy clappy type of <laughs> situation in my life. Uh-huh. And so he recommended that I read this and I, and I, and I picked it up and started reading it and just cover to cover and couldn't put it down. My edition is highlighted all over the place. And it, it's, um, it was a real balm to my soul. And so what, and, and this was probably, I don't know, 12, 13, 14 years ago when I first became acquainted with this book, <laughs> excuse me. And I've gone back to it again and again over the years uh, in times where I was particularly struggling with contentment. And just Mm. uh, as I was considering 
how to live an even more contented life. And um, I have been captured by one of the quotes from Burroughs, and it's, I think it's pretty much towards the beginning of the book, where he defines what Christian contentment is. And he says that Christian contentment is that sweet, inward, quiet, gracious frame of spirit, mm. which freely submits to and delights in God's wise and fatherly disposal in every condition. Mm. And that is, it's a little bit of a mouthful, but it's such a wonderful definition of what Christian contentment is. And it, and it draws me back to even uh, the Apostle Paul in, in the letter to the Philippians. You know, he Paul's life was circumstantially less than ideal, right? I mean, he shipwrecked, he's run out of town, he's uh, you know, we think of him as this great hero of the faith and someone who God used in such tremendous ways and the author of so many New Testament letters and and so forth. But it, that came at a great personal cost to him. And he was able to say to this real, really suffering Philippian church, and uh, as he reflected upon his own circumstances, he was able to say in Philippians chapter four that he's learned to be content whatever the circumstances may be. And that we, so many of us know that, that great verse where he says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Well, when he said- I saying, can't dunk anymore and I want to do it, so. What's that? <laughs> I can't you, dunk a basketball anymore. Right, sure. I want course. to. <laughs> yeah, so there's that, there's that great passage and he's, and he's of course talking about that he can have contentment in less than ideal circumstances, in times yes. of, of real acute suffering uh, through Christ who gives him that strength. And so that is much of my experience with the book and how it's been so helpful to me to remember that. Uh, mm. And Burroughs really does a great job of unpacking it. Right, idea. right. Yeah, I mean, that, that my joke was, I, you know, I could will and want to do to dunk a basketball. I want, right. but at this point but in my life, cannot. I'm not doing it. Even, <laughs> even in, even through Christ, I'm not. But and, that, and that's the point. I mean, Paul says, "I know what it is to to live in plenty. I know what it is to live in want. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me." Mm -hmm. And it is true. We can do uh, everything we are called to do. We can do in in Christ. So that's a great. I think that's the first sermon that Burroughs does in the book is based around that that verse. Exactly. Uh, you, you mentioned a quote. Here's, here's one I had put on Twitter and Facebook. Mm -hmm. uh, contentment. It is an inner, it is an inward, quiet, gracious frame of spirit. It is a frame of spirit and then a gracious frame of spirit. Contentment is a soul business. Exactly. Number one, it is inward. Number two, it is quiet. Number three, it is a quiet frame of spirit. It is a grace that spreads through the whole soul. As thus contentment is in the judgment, that is the judgment of the soul of man or woman tends to quiet the heart. And and so just what an amazing thing. There's this frame of spirit. And I think this is, you know, he's not connecting it here, particularly with the peace that passes all understanding. But I, I think that, you know, there's obviously a connection with that, the peace of Christ, you know, the peace that lives inside of us that, you know, that, that a person can go through terrible cancer uh, procedures and just have a peace about them and be a witness in, in the hospital. And you hear these, these stories. I see it when I visit people. It's, it's always an amazing uh, testimony to me to see 
a soul that is contented, you know, that a, a soul that has quieted their heart. And it's hard won and hard bought and hard fought. It's not it's not easy. And I think that's why he calls the the book the rare jewel of Christian contempt. It's it it's rare and yet it is a jewel when we can find it. So any other quotes you had uh picked out? Otherwise I have more to say on that. But Oh I'll... yeah. I mean there's a there's a whole bunch of quotes, but it just makes me think of the fact that we are so inclined to seek uh our contentment in created things rather than in the creator. And uh, so we look for it in the circumstances of our work or our family life or our relationships or mm. finance. I mean, you, you name it. I mean, it, we can all, we can all enumerate various ways in which we seek that. And what Burroughs does is he helps us to recognize that our contentment ultimately rests in our union with Christ, in our position in Christ, but also in the providence of God. I mean, in, in God, God in his providence has placed us in, in, in a variety of circumstances. And when we start looking uh, outside of ourselves to what others have, I mean, maybe their circumstances may be uh, more comfortable or more fortunate than ours in certain respects. But for one thing, we don't know the whole picture <laughs> and, and in terms of what they're facing. And secondly, uh, that's not where we're to, to look uh, to, to find our contentment. In other words, to look to get what other people have in order to find our contentment. Our contentment ultimately needs to rest in the providence of God and in his goodness to us. And, and, um, you know, Burroughs, he's writing in the context of having faced a, a number of, of hard providences himself. I mean, he's he was one of the nonconformist ministers in England at this time. He was he was literally booted out of the country. I mean, having to to run into exile and, and uh, preach and teach in, in Rotterdam in the Netherlands. Uh, what is today the Netherlands, and uh, because of of the draconian laws of the state at the time, and that was commonplace amongst the Puritans, and you would think that there would be a great deal of bitterness and um, and an anger with the loss of so many opportunities that they had once had, and that was certainly a temptation for them. Yet nonetheless, he is teaching us how to have contentment in all circumstances when these hard providences come our way. Yeah. And, and by the way, I love that. I love the little history you gave us. So, so I, you may remember I asked you well, if you want to talk about this. I said, I'm not sure if you've read. And then I joked. I was like, no, I know you've read because you're, 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 my, uh, you're my reformed Presbyterian hero. Uh, <laughs> so there it is. I knew you would have read it. You said, yes, this is one of my favorite works. And, yes. uh, and you know, the history behind his life. Yes. Definitely. I, yeah. I mean, seeing that satisfaction and one reason I think that this, um, the satisfaction in Christ that overrules sort of these other wells, it reminds me of, of, of that verse in Jeremiah two, where, you know, 
my people have committed two great sins. They've rejected mm-hmm. me, the fountain of all living waters, and and then hewn for themselves cisterns or wells that can hold no water, you know? And and so much of our lives is seeking refreshment from things that can't bring it. Right. And as I read him, I mean, he is tapping into things that I so, uh, I mean, they resonate. Like here he talks about, for their for there is such unruliness in our thoughts and affections that our judgments are not always able to rule our thoughts and affections. And that makes me to say that contentment is an inward, quiet, gracious frame of spirit that is the whole soul, judgment, thoughts, will, affections, and all are satisfied and quiet. And in this section, what he really highlighted, which I just loved, was like, content, Christian contentment, or this real, rare jewel of Christian contentment, is more than simply mind over matter. It's more than your judgments. In other words, there there's a, there is a version of contentment that says, well, I am accepting that God is sovereign and he is bringing this into my life, but our will is not convinced of it. And so we intellectually assent, and, and that's good, by the way, I, I think, and he, I think he affirms that that's good. That, that is good. We have to always recognize that but then when we see that our heart does not come alongside our mind in that, uh, we recognize how we have to go to the Lord even with that. And I just thought that was a great sort of thing he held out, like our intellectual judgments mm-hmm. or affirmations that we firmly believe, yet our soul doesn't feel it. And yet he's trying to highlight there is a, a, a soul, um, you know, the entire being. Uh, that can actually be content, and yet it's fleeting and hard to hard to come by. Right. And so much of that I, it draws me back to thinking about the tenth commandment. Um, oh yeah. The you know the tenth commandment being you shall not covet, and it enumerates several things we ought not to covet. But there's a whole host of aspects of our life that we just if you live it as a covetousness individual and and few people are going to admit to to being that but when your eye is is constantly getting diverted onto other things or other people's good fortune and and then you look back to your own and you 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 feel like you know if there are three people on the face of the earth who have a nicer car than you then you drive like the hoopty mobile of the Piedmont of North Carolina. I mean, you know, or whatever the case may be. You know, you you just are you talking about our minivan. What are you talking? <laughs> hey, you know that that I we have a minivan, and and on our way to Christmas Eve service, by the way, yeah. we slammed into a deer. It was the first deer that I've oh. hit all this time, and so I mean, even today, I've got to go take in my minivan, and it, and I've been driving around with this van with this massive squished front for the past two weeks trying to get things squared away with the insurance you know and it just makes you feel you know just your the the aesthetics of of the vehicle look so poor and and i see others and man i wish i you know my car didn't have all those dings in it or it could be just stupid stuff like that and it can be it can overtake our whole lives Mm. and you think of just the amount of depression and anxiety that our society is faced with and there are there are certainly 
um, physiological issues that can be involved in that that are that are you know that's beyond my expertise that's beyond what we're um, talking about right here but I'm talking about sort of self-imposed <laughs> type of depression and anxiety I mean we can we can follow fall into a bottomless pit of despair when our lives are covetousness are covetous and um, and so much of that is linked even to the first commandment of having no other gods before us because we have this tendency to prop up all of these other things as objects of our functional trust or functional hope um, or functional source of contentment. And in doing so, when they don't deliver what mm. they promise to deliver, we end up becoming discontented, depressed, anxious people. And when we realize that God gives us all that we need, uh, then, and we are secure in him and his good and gracious fatherly disposal is, is actually going to work for our good, then we can have contented lives. Uh, a, a quote that, that I picked out from Burroughs' book, which I found could be very uh, helpful for myself and in the time in which we live. It's on page 92 of his book, I believe. And it says, I see that it is not necessary for me to be rich, but it is necessary for me to make my peace with God. It's not necessary that I have a pleasurable life in the world, but it's absolutely necessary that I have a pardon for my sin. It's not necessary that I should have honor and preferment, but it is necessary that I have Christ as my portion and have my part in Jesus Christ and that I should be saved on the last day. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's anchoring our whole sense of contentment in who Christ is for us in the gospel is ultimately where he leads us. So good, Darren. And I like how you connected uh, first commandment down to the 10th commandment. We, we did the 10 commandments here, I think last year right. at this time through the Westminster larger catechism. And, uh, you know, I mentioned that that Jeremiah verse about rejecting God and making our own gods, and and so there's there's idolatry. And Paul, of course, says that covetousness is idolatry. He says it in Colossians and and in Ephesians. And so mm -hmm. uh, there very much is is that <clears throat> aspect of it mm -hmm. that we are all idol worshippers. We 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 right. make them in our minds. We think they'll satisfy us, and and they don't. And what what I wanted to say at this point, and by the way. If I'm distracting you or if users are like, what's going on with George? I have a, my eye. I got some, I don't know if it was shampoo or some chemical in the bathroom. Who knows? I may have to get it checked out. It's been burning all morning. One of the advantages I, of having my hairstyle is that there's very little shampoo use. I mean, oh, there you go. Yeah, I don't know why I'm using shampoo. I mean, it's, it's, it's a once every presidential administration. So I've listened to everything you've said there, but like if <laughs> listeners are watching on YouTube, if what if you if we have viewers and not listeners, I'm sorry. Right. It, it's that bad right now. Um, but what what I appreciated also about this this book, because I we don't want this to be like, well, if you're not content, there's something wrong with you. Like what about like, don't we see, don't we pray? Doesn't the Lord say to bring our requests to him, our needs to him? And and then, so how do we view that? And what I loved is right at the beginning, he said, uh, we, we can be content in our very soul and still seek to better our circumstances. I'm paraphrasing. Right. Like it's not wrong to seek 
to not be oppressed, to have a financial problem that's draining us. Like that, that it's exactly. not wrong to see. And he says, it's also not wrong to bring those to the Lord, even in, uh, I don't know if he used the words complaint, but just, you know, like we, we, we do bring them to God. That The fact that we're bringing those mm-hmm. things to the Lord is not saying that we're not content. Mm-hmm. So he talks about it as, as this mystery that we're fully content in our soul. And yet we still can pursue um, relief from the physical right or whatever it is, mental anguish of something. And, and that is a mystery. And he kind of just begins to dig into that, you know? Uh, which is, which I found helpful because I don't want to give the impression that, I mean, the Bible speaks anthropomorphically, meaning attributing to God qualities of man that, you know, he doesn't necessarily have, but like that says, you know, the, the spirit was grieved, you know, like you can grieve, um, the, the Bible says to be angry, but without sin, you know, uh, and so what are you angry about? Being angry is, is, you know, there's a contentment thing there you're not content with a certain thing and there's maybe you're seeking justice for something and um so we can we're not saying to be stoic we're not saying to be not be human but right i mean i think that when you the psalms are so helpful here right i mean don't you see in the psalms so much disappointment with just the fact that one lives in a fallen world. I mean, it's a world of decay and and depravity. And there is certainly a sense to mourn that, to lament that, um, and to to grieve that. And there's also clearly in Scripture um, the calling to, to pursue all that is good and right and true for the glory of God and to be active. In other words, that we don't just we don't just wallow in our lack or our suffering or what whatever. We we pursue wisely all that that we can for the glory of God and the good of our neighbor and to alleviate suffering uh, in our own lives and that of, of others. But when God providentially brings that around to us and and we face that in very noticeable ways, we we still need to to return to the fact that that all things work for the good of those who love God and have been called according to his purpose, mm-hmm. and that our position in Christ is secure and that we do have an inheritance that will never perish or spoil or fade. And he will never leave us nor forsake us. And our sins have been plunged into the depths of the sea. And when you remember things like that, you can be content when uh, you, you, uh, your, your flesh and your heart fail, but the Lord can still be the strength of your heart and your portion forever. I mean, that's very much what it looks like to be content. It, it's it's not so, some sort of passive, uh, quietest type of life uh, where we just, uh, you know, live in, in, in a place of lack and suffering as our, as our um, you know, that's what faithful Christian living looks like. It's not. It, it, faithful Christian living looks like contentment in times of being on the peak and also being at the bottom of the valley. And, and that contentment ultimately rests not in in 
all of the fortune that we do have or the misfortune that we're facing. It, it rests in who we are in Christ. So we're not so, we're not so moved one way or the other by what it is that we have or what it is that we're experiencing. Yeah. Well, that's good, Darren. Yeah. I guess as we round, round the corner here, one neat thing that he says here, and, and I'm only, I haven't finished the book, so I, I'm, want to see where he goes with it but he says mm -hmm. uh one one thing is the content contented in a christian way it must be said of him that he is the most contented man in the world and yet the most unsatisfied man in the world mm -hmm. these two together must needs be mysterious and yeah. I, I think the the paradox he's making between being contented and unsatisfied is uh i i have to assume is because this is still a fallen world this is and and we will one day be satisfied in in Christ fully like we won't have the urges and the needs because all things will be new again like we still want that so to be contented here is not to not want that there you know exactly and i think we have to remember that this is a fallen world um our savior came suffered uh to be a sympathetic high priest to show yeah but he says, you know, we will, he will make all things new again. And so just as, as I sign off, just to say, as 2024 begins and we enter another political season, inflation has gone nuts, I know. And uh, it's, it's hard to be content. It's hard to, you know, and, and even in my own life, I'm not even, it's not even a possession thing for me. I'm always not like, I always want like I always have another goal, you know, and it's good to have goals, but it's almost like there's a, there's a, a, a tension in my soul that I want what's next, you know? And, uh, and sometimes that hurts my contentment. And so, I don't know, maybe this book will, uh, will help mm -hmm. illuminate how the gospel can, uh, can make me satis so satisfied in Christ. I won't, uh, seek pleasure in, in other things that I, I don't need to. And, even in that, I wanted to ask you, uh, because I would love our listeners to read this, particularly, I mean, our listeners are whoever listens, but I, our, my congregation here and maybe yours, like, if you want to cut your teeth on some Puritan writing, I think this could be a good one. I, I don't know if there's other versions that are more complicated than others, Darren. I don't know if you know if there are, but um, I think check it out. It's not that difficult. Like John Owen can be difficult at times and, and Edwards can be difficult at times. This seems fairly readable. What do you think? Yeah, I, I do. I mean, it's it's meaty. It's not it's not, uh, you know, it's probably not going to come from the 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 fluff Christian uh, bestseller section of the bookstore. I mean, it, there's there's certainly some substance to it. However, it is worth digging into this. And, and if you have to reread a paragraph or so to really wrap yourself around it, I mean, that, that's, that's a worthwhile endeavor. I, I have commended this book to others. Uh, recently, I mean, I had a friend going through a terrible time and facing a terrible injustice. And I, and, uh, uh, I let her borrow my copy and uh, she, you know, she'd never read a Puritan in her life. I mean, th this never had really much acquaintance with the Puritans. And 
she found it to be tremendously helpful mm. to her. And I think it does help us live in that tension because George, you just hit the nail on the head with that. There is this tension between um, a, a holy discontent with what the world has to offer and contentment with God and also giving thanks to God. I mean, he's given us all good things to enjoy. We ought to enjoy the gifts that he's given to us and um, the pleasures of, of this life, it, yet not anchor our life upon those or, or pursue them as our chief end, but also to pursue um, to pursue that which is good and, and improves our lives and so forth. Um, there's a lot of tension involved in that, but I, I think this book really helps us to to lean into the providence of God, to lean into the goodness of God in times of plenty and times of want, mm. and to to reorient ourselves away from a love affair with the world and a love for God, and ultimately having our love for God and, and even more ultimately his love for us uh, be the source of our joy. Amen. Uh, so uh, I, yeah, I commend it to, to anybody and, and I don't, I don't think it's beyond the, the scope of, um, you know, it's, it's not, it's not so technical that. It's 200 pages. So it's yeah. not a, it's not long. You can read, it looks like there's eight sermons, nine, nine sermons, Mm -hmm. that build on one another and they look like they were given as a sermon series, which is kind of neat. Right. And so read them, enjoy it. Yeah. Thanks George. This was great, great discussion and, and uh, tremendously poignant for our own time and our own lives. So uh, look forward to being with you guys next time. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time on grace to stand. Thanks Darren.